back to Women Making Moves, where we celebrate the moves that women are making. My name is Amy Pons. I'm a master certified life coach and a soul healer. I'm joined today with Caroline Malloy. Caroline Malloy, PhD, is a Chicago-based book coach, developmental editor, and historian who helps great women write great nonfiction. Women's voices are necessary, powerful, yet still undervalued in nonfiction publishing, and Caroline wants to ensure there are more women nonfiction writers on her shelf and yours. She worked with authors of both general and academic nonfiction, whether they are just formulating their book idea or ready to pitch or somewhere in between writing their incredible story. Caroline has spoken on coaching and nonfiction editing at several national conferences and is the author of the chapter on book coaching in the forthcoming The Art of Academic Editing, a guide for authors and editors by Flatpage in 2023. Along with coaching amazing writers, Caroline travels as a resident historian with Viking Ocean Cruises, teaches indoor cycling, and reads books on her front porch alongside her husband, Steve, and their two mutts, Boo and Emma. Caroline, welcome, friend. I'm so happy to be here with you today, Amy. I had a little rough go. Caroline and I had to have a preamble for about 10 minutes because I'm a little ragey this morning. And uh, all Fridays are four. It's beautiful. And we're letting it flow in. Yes. You're feeling great today. Yeah. Why not? I'm here with you. Come on. Yes. Thanks for saying that. I needed that. I needed that little, that little loving this morning. All right. So Caroline, your bio is, is amazing and you've done so much in seemingly a short amount of time. So beyond all the great things you do as PhD historian, I did not know you worked for the cruise lines, like, wow, cycling, like you do all the things. What moves are you excited to be making right now? Um, I love, I do all the things. I wish I did all the things. In terms of moves that I'm excited to be making, I am excited to be making the move into this space for women writing nonfiction. That has been a move in the last six months for me, you know this. And it has been a really big, passionate, exciting move because I think I spent so long as a historian thinking that the burden was on me to be the woman writing the one nonfiction thing. And the kind of seemingly obvious now, but uh, certainly uh, not obvious at the time, the, the discovery that no, 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 it's not about me sitting down and writing the one book. It's about finding the 50 other people and writing 50 books, right? And moving into that space. And every time I have a conversation with someone and I'm like, great women write great nonfiction and need to. And people are like, yes. And it aligns so much with so many of us women today, whether you're a writer, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're in, you know, whatever industry you're in, you're a CEO, you're corporate, you're a mom, there is this sense that we all have right now of damn right, we need to be in this space. And so moving into allowing, opening up that space for women who want to write about it, it's awesome. And it just, I'm generally moving into that space and it's awesome. I know you will be my writing coach when I am ready to share it all. I've been sharing snippets through my posts and letting people get to know me about what I do, my business, my past, it'll come soon. And I love what you said about, it's not just you bearing the weight of having to tell the story on your own. So when you shifted from historian to book coach, was it one day you're like, oh, light bulb. And you just (laughs) made the shift. (laughs) If only. (laughs) Right. Yes. I wish that my life had been on such a clear and and directive path. No, there's a, there are several meandering years in between, uh, historian and where I am today. The last year I actually taught a class was 2016. So in the intervening years, there have been, there's been a lot of meandering. There's been a lot of cruising and there have been people who came to me with books 
and said, I think you should help. And I told them they were crazy. And enough of them did. And I said, I guess I can help. And I started figuring out what that looks like. And then for the last few years, I've been helping people. And then, like I said, last six months, I've been realizing like, I don't just want to help anybody. I really, really want to make a difference with this. And thankfully, you answered the call. There's this huge, huge shift happening in the entire world right now where the divine feminine is being called back in. And I Mm -hmm. think that's why you're seeing, that's my personal opinion. That's like revelation that I've been seeing all around me. So I'll give you an example through Aaron Gallagher's Ella Fairway dinners. I used to feel a year ago, I used to feel like I was legitimately in a Sims Sims like game or what is it? Sims. Um, <laughs> yeah, Sim City and all that. City. I was like, I am the only one in anywhere around me that feels that seemingly feels not okay with how life's going right now. Mm. I felt so alone, and I was like, I'm the weird one. I I was doing all these things about like it's me, it's me, it's me. It's not me. <laughs> like what I was starting to realize is that I didn't want to be in a sim. I didn't yeah. want to be in the simulation. I wanted to be out here doing whatever I was supposed to be doing for other people, for myself. And especially through Aaron's dinners recently, and and you've been to them as well. I realize actually almost every woman I meet these days either has been or is going through this incredible transformation of some sort, because I feel that we're emerging from the cocoon and the conditioning is starting to shed away. I think Yeah. I mean, if it's conditioning or it's, you know, kind of cultural experiences, we are, I think more particularly as women, although I I actually don't want to take this away because I think there are these crises for, for men as well. But I mean, I think we are so often in these spaces where saying I am uncomfortable, saying I am unhappy, saying I need help with something from a professional standpoint is frowned upon. I mean, we've had the experiences. I, I can't speak for you. I can speak for myself, but I know so many women who have had the experience of like, I'm feeling lost, I'm feeling hopeless, and I, I'm going to verbalize it. And you do, and you get penalized for it, right? And I think that happens in so many spheres. I had that experience over and over again in academia. And so you learn to just not say it. And you think, all right, if I have a problem, I got to solve it on my own. And you isolate and it gets worse. And you think, well, I'm either no one else has this problem, so I won't share it. Or if I share it, I will get in trouble for having the problem, even if we all have it. And I think there is this shift that's taking place and there are, are women particularly stepping into the void to say, hey, no, 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 here's a space to share, right? Like your podcast, here's a space to share the things that we, we've we been conditioned, all right, right? To it's conditioning, we, I got you to say it. No, you'll get me back around to it. But the no, things that, that are, are we are designed to like keep inside ourselves and so that we feel isolated and we are isolated and we stay isolated. And I think there is a shift right now. It seems to be... I want to say it's women of a particular age, but at the same time, like I just had this amazing, amazing conversation with a young woman who's 22 years old, just came out of undergrad and she is just like blowing stuff up. We're having this conversation across, you know, 20 year divide about exactly how to continue unlocking these spaces. Gen Z is amazing. And they're like, I'm not doing it your way. And I love that. They are, but they're also looking and saying, but it has been done this way. And how do we avoid it? Right. I mean, I think there's an awareness of like that. I can look at my mother's generation and like understand the difference. And and I think Gen Z is coming out guns blazing, but they're, they're conscious of like, we don't want to recede. 
right? Because I mean, all of us at 21, 22, we're like, we got everything, we're going to rule the world. And then we went into our jobs and we were told you don't rule the world. And we were told you don't have problems and you don't speak up and you don't say these things. And I think there is something going on right now with this next generation. I'm feeling so old and I don't think I'm that old. Uh, But I do think there is something going on of like, they seem more conscious of holding on to that we can do it vibe. Whereas I feel like people in their 40s might, you know, I'll just tag my generation of like, yeah, we thought we were. And then somewhere along the lines, it stopped. Um, And I think now coming back around to the other side going, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) we didn't, we didn't plan this and we're going to stop this. So a couple of things. So I, you had said you didn't want to speak for me. Like I did have that same experience, meaning for my experience in corporate specifically, when you were kind of tagged by leadership that you were being, and they used the term grooming, right? When you're being groomed. Oh. Yeah. They would say like, we're grooming you for oh, okay. yeah. the next, the next level, which is like cringe. I remember specifically when I was tapped, like you're being groomed during COVID and I'm like, my team is taking the day off. I just declared it, you know, and I got a real big hand slap for that. Women and men in leadership now that might be using that term, I'm grooming people for the next level, whatever. That's the only way they knew how to do it too. So this all comes full circle and it really resonates with what you just said. I'm really passionate about starting an intergenerational conversation with groups of women. Right. Officially right now, I'm inviting women who want to come in and have a conversation about the stuff that makes you mad about other generations, the stuff that makes you happy about other generations, compassion and empathy, not to judge when other people are sharing, and then helping each other heal through it to mark that change, because there's something we can learn from each. So I want to get a conversation going with women who are able to hold a safe space and non-judgment space from the boomer generation, from X, from millennials, from Gen Z, and any others that want to join. And it's a really intentional conversation. What I'm wanting to gain is healing within that group of women, but also the ripple effect outward so that we can then help others to assimilate to not only a post-pandemic world that none of us have ever done anyway, but like there are really awesome nuggets of things that each generation can bring. And I know on a high level, we all know that, but I think what's gotten lost is that there's an assumption that all the generations right now on this plane don't have any common ground. And that's not true. Not at all. It is not a conveyor belt. Ooh, say more. The idea of like a conveyor belt is like you get on the conveyor belt and you're on it and you're moving forward and people just get on behind you and you can't ever catch up. I love this idea that you have of like almost like hitting stop on the conveyor belt and saying, no, 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 let's pause here and let's all talk. Please help me gather women for this. Okay. That is my ask of you. And that's what our monthly calls for women making moves will become is like that space that we hold. So do you have any books coming out? No, I am emphatically not a writer. When I was a historian, my least favorite thing was the writing part. I am playing with the idea of writing a book right now within the space of editing. And I am not sure my thoughts on it. Um, It's much easier as it is in so many aspects of life. It is much easier for me to encourage you to write a book than it is for me to sit down and write my own. A potential book that would help academic writers write books that everybody wants to read, not just other scholars, but I don't know my thoughts. In the moment, I'm happy with the other work that my other writers are doing. Will you hire a writing coach? I will bring someone on at some point. Yeah, no, definitely. Some of my own methodology will help me with some of the early onslaught. But when it comes to the 
big overall 30,000 foot view, the value of bringing on somebody who basically doesn't have any skin in the game is really valuable. I think as writers, people look to friends, they look to family, they look to colleagues, but in the end, like even the most like critical cousin or sister or whomever that you're like this best friend from college, she's going to tell it to me straight, whether or not my book is good or bad in the end is not. She might tell you it's terrible, but she's still actually not coming at it from the perspective of who do you really want to have reading the book? And so that's, I think, one of the things that coaches bring in, developmental editors can bring in, which is the sense of like, you tell me who this book is supposed to be for. I can kind of put that hat on and see how you are serving your audience. Are you bringing to them exactly what you want? And are they able to walk away with what they need? Because there's a difference between what you want as a writer and what the reader needs from you. And and sometimes I think the biggest gap as a writer is that writers think like, what I want the reader to do is what they'll do. No, people very rarely do what you want them to do in any situation. (laughs) Certainly not when you send them off on their own into their house with your book. They will not do what you want them to do. And we we shouldn't want them to. It's not about our agenda. Write out what was true for you. Write out your truth. And then whoever resonates or interprets based on your truth is theirs, not yours. Absolutely. And that's the trick, right? That in nonfiction, particularly, I work with so many women who are trying to write into my big favorite is women who are like, I don't want to write a self-help book. I want to write a leadership book because that's like breaking down all of these stereotypes of like women do self-help and men write leadership. If you think about self-help books, they tend to be driven by and towards women. And if you think about like leadership books, you're going to start name checking all of these like old corporate dudes. And then like everybody can name like two or three women, same two or three. But in terms of what you want out of someone who's reading your book, there is a sense, I think, of like, if you're showing up on the page, you are trying to get a particular message across, right? I mean, you you do have a story to tell. You do want the reader to like transform in a particular way. And you can't really control it on the end. But part of the, the nuance of, of writing a really great book is can you subtly get the reader where you want them to be? right? It's it's not in the end an open-ended question. It is, hey, I have this super awesome authority. You are going to get this point from me no matter what. But if you come out and say that directly, people won't. So you have to finesse it and you really have to make it seem like it was the reader's idea to be transformed in that particular way. And if they're transformed in other ways, that's better. That's great. It should resonate with them. If you have a story coming out of your experience in a corporate setting, or if you have a story from all of this like research that you've done or or all the time that you've spent doing whatever, that book only works if it resonates with other people. But you are, as the author, I think, allowed to want to get a particular message across. And it's finding the harmony between those two things that is the secret to people sitting down and reading all the way to the end of your book and not just reading the first page and going, yeah. It's just sitting down like you're you're writing with intention. Yes. If you stick with intention and truth, that's it. And who resonates will resonate with who doesn't, who, you know, won't. When I work with writers, the very first question that we deal with before we get to anything is why, right? It's intention. What is the why for you in the book? And it's not like a one line answer. Like this is a deep internal why. And if you got that, you've got your core value and you can work from there, right? Step two is figure out for whom, but like you got to have the why first. What if someone says, When you say for whom, if I said for me, for me is perfectly good answer. That's what I would say right now. If you were, if we were writing together, I'd be like, I'm writing this for me. My aha this year has been like, literally every, like I said, every woman, woman that has come into my orbit has had like the same story as me. And I'm like, that's wild. Like what the hell is happening? 
I know what's happening. That was rhetorical, but okay. So <laughs> why are you having a writing retreat and why in Greece? <laughs> so my five-year plan uh, to take over the world. Yes. Uh, my five-year plan is to combine what I do as a historian still, which is to travel the world with Viking cruises and to work with my writers who I can work with from all over the world. And I've worked with writers in London and in France and in Australia. And I've worked with writers from France and Norway and Mexico. So, I mean, it, one of the things I love about my particular entrepreneurial life is is its flexibility in terms of time zone. And so the long-term plan has been to bring those two worlds together and say, hey, this is fantastic. Why can we not as writers travel into spaces and commit and gift ourselves, right? And that's a word I really like to think about in terms of a lot of the writers I work with. Committing to writing your book is a gift for yourself. It's It's not a chore. It shouldn't be something you don't want to do. The second you tell me you no longer want to write the book, we have a conversation about, okay, you need to step away because if you are not feeling like this is something you are doing for you, you should not be doing it. But the idea of gifting yourself space to do that somewhere fabulous, five-year plan. I also coincidentally had a plane ticket to Athens, Greece uh, due to some personal situations that I had to use by the end of this year. So my husband in passing was like, why don't you just have a writer's retreat in Greece? And I was like, ah, that's really funny. And about a week later, I was like, why don't I just have a writer's retreat in Greece? And just over a month, a small and select group of writers and I are going to Athens and taking the time, gifting themselves the time to commit to what they need in their book at the moment. I have one spot left. If anyone is like, I need an impromptu trip to Athens. Now that the flights to Europe are cheaper, come with us. It'll be great. I mean, I kind of want to. I love what you say about gifting Though something's coming up for me as it relates to the fact that women have to find a justification to be able to invest in themselves. Yes. Ugh. I work with a number of writers who explain, this is my birthday present to myself. This is my whatever present to myself. And they really, you have to, particularly as women, I think we have to come up with excuses to spend what seems like superfluous money. And I think as coaches and, and you know, you, you coach as well, we, live in this tenuous space where our value can sometimes also be questionable, right? I mean, I literally help people write books. You have a stack of books behind you as we talk. Most of those people probably didn't have a coach help them. They did all have editors at the end of some way, shape, or form, I would hope. But I mean, as a coach, I'm in this space where it seems like a luxury, even though the writers that I work with are, I think, wonderfully reaffirming for me every time I work with them, that there's a way in that was easier or more confident in working with a coach. That's what a coach does. It's not that you can't get from A to B without a coach, but the journey from A to B might be really hard if you are inventing the wheel for yourself, if you are going through those struggles like we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, going through them on your own and being in isolation. It's so much harder. I work with a lot of writers on their second books because they dragged them way through the first and went, oh, I didn't have to do all of this by myself, right? I didn't have to imagine all of these problems. I didn't have to, you know, figure out what to do on the page. I'm going to hire a coach. I'm going to bring on a developmental editor, which is basically just like a shorter term coach. To your point as coaches, what I often like to say is we fill the gaps in which today's society and systems in large part are not equipped to help humans that are wanting more from their lives 
to take that step forward. It like feels like they're trudging concrete from A to B. Whereas with a coach, the best thing I can say is I've met people that have tried to go it on their own. And it's again, to your point, not that they can't, you're going to get there, right? But it's through hell and it's hurts and it's hard and everything. And having a coach is literally like a concierge ally, trusted sounding board at all times. And it makes the journey not only shorter, but gorgeous. Fuller. Yeah. Self-discovery often become friends. Yeah. You help someone through a massive milestone or shift or transformation. And we're being called to do that right now with knowing that there are a lot of, like any other industry, there's a lot of kind of bad characters out there. But As- there, I, I had this conversation with someone recently. I was called out, I was talking to another coach and editor, and we got into the conversation of, we actually had the situation of, of someone accuse us, not accuse us. So it was a guest on a podcast and a, a critic of the podcast said, well, coaches are all a scam, book coaches in particular. And she gave the example of, you know, this was a website of a person who wasn't really a coach. And my answer to that is I can give you a website of someone who's not really a lawyer or a doctor or anything else, but it's somehow easier to be like, well, coaches aren't for real. Like, and I just, that's a whole, that's a whole different topic. First of all, coaches have been around since the beginning of time. Like if anybody has ever had a staff of any kind, you're a coach, you know, like I've been a people leader my entire career. So I've been a coach for over 20 years. I like to say that being a book coach is like being a teacher or being a professor. Just, I don't have to grade your stuff. So you don't really hate me in the end. And you actually get more one-to-one. Yeah. You know, so the moves that you're making are so exquisite and we've decided I'm going to write a book someday. You're going to be my coach. And the next thing I want to talk about is something that you posted, reposted actually from Brooke Warner a day ago. Ah. And I'll read it out loud. And I just want to understand your motivation of posting it, like what it means, because I don't understand it. So I'd love to hear from you. Brooke writes... Agents are necessarily invested in an author's platform almost more so than anything else because they have to be. So tend to your platform as much as you tend to your writing. What do we mean by an author's platform? What, what's that? And what? It's a really great question. And I'm glad you asked because I think it aligns a lot with what we've been talking about. A platform is the space an author takes up confidently and says, I'm writing a book. Platform fundamentally is taking up room and saying, I am an author and it manifests fundamentally as like, are you talking on social media about the fact that you're writing a book? Are you telling people? Are you giving talks um, that are related to your book? If you're, you know, I I work with a lot of writers and, and you and I both know a lot of women who are, you know, speakers and doing that speaking circuit, right? So is what you're saying on the speaking circuit, the same as what your book's about. And are you saying at the end of your talk on your speaking circuit, by the way, there's a book. That's platform. It is the space in which you confidently say to the world, I am an author. And the more you do it, and the more loudly you do it, the more agents and publishers like that, because it is basically built in marketing. And I think one of the biggest uh, myths of writing a book is that you write the book and then you're done and you hand it to someone and they then go make it a bestseller somewhere. It's like you give it out to the world and you are done with it. When in fact, probably 30% of the effort is now done, if not less. And the back half of it is all marketing. And one of the things that writers run into as a problem pretty much right away is they drop a book proposal, which is what you do in nonfiction, and you send it out. And there is a section on that book proposal that says, how am I going to market this book? And if you simply say, I 
have 50 followers on my Instagram account about my cat and my book is about leadership, you will have agents who will be honest with you if you're lucky and say, I can't take a book with someone who has no platform, who has not taken the effort to be confident in themselves as a writer already. And that's a real hard lift for particularly first-time writers, but even second-time writers to be really public and to market it as if you are a business. Your book is a business. And so Brooke is herself in the publishing agency and absolutely fabulous and runs She Writes Press, which is a, a press after my own heart, aligned with this idea of more women should be writing more fabulous books. But that call out, I think, can't be said enough. Um, and I try and align professionally with a lot of book marketers. And you need to be confident in who you are. And going back to why do you work with a coach? Because every day I'm going to be like, hey, guess what? You're a writer. You are. Say it. Share that with people. Um, at the end of the five-week program I work with new writers on, we talk about marketing. We set a six-month plan, not just to write, not like in the next six months, you're going to write chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. But in the next six months, you're going to get on a podcast and you're going to talk about your book topic. You're going to pitch an article to a newspaper. You're going to create an Instagram page for your author identity. Like, Step into that space. Own it. Be so confident in this part of you that you've discovered. So by platform, you mean like what have you been building as not only your own identity or like what you are passionate about, but something that like the whole, like when you talked about the very first question you ask is why, if you're not somehow aligned with that, why like elsewhere outside of that book writing conversation, then it's going to be really difficult to show anyone what you're doing and what you're working on. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Books, we think about writing. It's an innately isolating experience. Even if you have a coach, you still got to do the writing by yourself somewhere. That's very internal. It's very isolating. And so as a writer, you're like, this is a, a me thing. It's It's closed off. But if you think about books, they're public facing. They are extrovertive by nature, even if you are not. Books are out in the world. And so platform is is basically bridging that gap to let go of that isolated writer self and step into that extroverted public book version of you. How are you going to do it? How are you going to make it happen? And a publisher, an agent, they want to know that you can help in that process. They do not really at all anymore publish books that have no platform because there's no way to sell a book that has no platform. I can sit down today and I can write a book on lamp making about which I know nothing, but there's a lamp on the other side of my computer. So that's what made me think of it. If I try to get a publisher for the book on lamp making, no one will buy it because I have no authority and no platform and no way to prove that anybody wants to buy a book from me on lamp making. Now, the other side of that is self-publishing is this fabulous game right now, right? There is excellent, excellent self-publishing. It is no longer this like scammy, bad photocopy thing from like 10, 20 years ago. But even if you're self-publishing, going with my terrible lamp making example, if I self-publish a book on lamp making... I still can't get anyone to buy it because I still have no platform, right? Even if you're self-publishing, you have to have a platform. You have to be able to talk about, unless it is the one book that is just for you to sit on your shelf. And that is a valid thing. And that is something that you enter into that book knowing. If I know I just simply want on the shelf behind me a book with my name on it about lamp making, by all means, I can write it, I can self-publish it, I can put it on Amazon KDP, I can print on demand one copy for myself and like 
Maybe my parents will buy another copy and that'll be it. And I will live happily ever after. But if you want more than that, you have to have a platform. You have to be on that book facing public extroverted side of things. I really want you to write a book on lamp making. (laughs) I'm tempted now. Will you buy a copy, Amy? That's the only question. Seriously, I will buy a copy. (laughs) That's amazing. And as I stare into this uh, ring light that's above me. So I wrote and published a book through Amazon KDP and it's nine pages. So it's an, I call it in like an ebook or it's like a pamphlet. No, but you know about how good that process is. And well, and I wrote it a week after I left corporate. So almost a year ago, and I haven't really revisited it. And actually what's interesting is that it's the way on my website that people come into my orbit. And Mm so I'll get a ping every time it's downloaded and people will download it and read it. And it's just kind of like meant to be a, I think it's nine or 10, I call it chapters, but it's like, it's literally nine pages. So it's kind of a starter guide if you are needing a big change. And it's mostly geared toward if you're needing to get out of corporate. And the reason I I wrote is because there are so many things that when you're wanting to leave a situation, especially if it's tricky from a legal standpoint or an HR standpoint, and I put it out there and somebody read it recently. And she was like, this looks like a great starter to a big book. And I was like, cool. And (laughs) I'm not ready to tell that story yet. Or like the precursors of what made me write that short little ebook, but it's kind of like my starter guide. And it's really, it was kind of cool because I needed to get it down. And it was from a place where I was like, really, really, really hurting. So it'd be fun to maybe read that soon. Revisit, see how it sits with you a year later. Now I'd be talking about lovely woo-woo, spiritual, divine feminine. I would bring all that lovely, beautiful stuff in. So the, the first nine pages becomes some sort of introduction or prologue. This is this is where you started. And now let me take you through transformation. Come along on the ride, right? There's your book. I love that. That's beautiful. So again, I will be working with Caroline to write my book someday. What I look you- forward to it. I do too. And the lamp making. We'll do, we'll do it together. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about the naysayers about coaching in general. And again, it's not specific to coaching. It's just getting a little bit of buzz right now. And- it's such a beautiful emerging out. Actually, argue we don't have enough coaches coming out right now and helping with the different gaps we have in the community and society right now. As we kind of start to wind down, what would you share with those who support or like get what you do? And it's not just one dimensional. It's not just a book coach. You do so many things. We do all the things like we talked about, but how would you help someone if they came to you or like, I don't get what you do. Uh, what would you share with them? And then also how would you share if someone were interested, like me, I'm probably, I'm like an an awesome potential case study for you because I have something started and it's like, how do you help me understand the next steps? So it's like both, both who get the work and who don't get the work. So probably the most common way that I work with writers is to get them into their book. So kind of both categories, both sides of the question that you just asked. So people who either like have this thing that's like started and drafted and like mulling around or, you know, what is it that you do? What does a book coach help with? The answer is the same for both, which is I can help you take the idea that you have or that you don't even realize you have. But I say this to writers all the time. By the time you're talking to me, you're already a writer because there's a lot of people who don't want to write a book. They're never going to talk to me. They're never going to have a conversation with a book coach, ask really all that much about a book coach because it doesn't occur to them to write a book. But if you're the kind of person who's like, I think I should write a book someday, or somebody says to you, and this happens a lot, people go to you and say, you should write a book about, and you don't blow them off. You actually think, you know what? I should. 
And maybe I'll write nine pages to get it out on the page first. I'm the person that can help you take that from the idea to the actual book that you can envision. And I I say that, I don't mean that, you know, like I'm amazing sort of way to clarify, like that's just, but you are, well, thank you. But like, that's just fundamentally the first thing that most writers do with me is we, we work together to get you from idea into a thing that you can recognize as a book. From there, you write the book, right? That's not the writing. From there, you write the book and Part of our conversation is what do you want to happen to the book, right? It's that marketing conversation. Do you want to self-publish it? Do you want to worry about writing a book proposal later? And that's the other thing that I do that's sometimes more recognizable and, and easier. And it's why I actually say in my bio that I'm also a developmental editor because people are more comfortable understanding what an editor is. Most of my work is with ideas and concept and getting you started. And then the other place that I come in is to be the editor, to look at your proposal, to help you with a proposal, to kind of do that 30,000 foot view of your story and make sure it's exactly where you want it to be before you hit upload onto KDP or before you pitch it out to your dream agents. You know what I just got an idea about in real time? You know what I want to do? I want to write a book about, I read this book recently and it was a brilliant book, brilliant writer. The whole book is about how to play the game of corporate politics. Okay. And I was like, great, I don't want to play the game. I don't want there to be corporate politics. I kind of, and it's not a knock on her at all in that that book. It was, again, it was great. And I would have loved it had I read it in my 20s and entering the corporate world. Now that I'm on the other side, I want to write, stop playing the game. Like, let's Mm -hmm. stop the game. And so that might be something that you can help me. Right? These are the ideas. And like, like, how does that idea, and I just use that as a perfect example, You have this idea for a book and it might be stop playing the game. And the question is, what does that look like as a book? And that's what I coach people through. The other thing I will say, because you brought it up and I have this conversation with people a lot, finding the books out there that serve the writers that you maybe want to talk to or that are doing the thing that you want to align with, but you feel like maybe are doing it backwards. Like your example is perfect, right? I don't want to play the game, but this book is about playing the game. It doesn't take away from the value of that book. What you're doing in that moment, what you just articulated, Amy, is your niche in the market. You're saying, hey, there's this book doing this thing for a particular kind of reader. And so there's a space for this new next thing. And I have a lot of conversations with writers who have a writer that I've been working with who's going to write this amazing book. And she was like, here's what's wrong with Brene. Here's what's wrong with this one and that one. And she kind of went down the list. It was like, no, 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 it's not what's wrong, right? It's not what's wrong with how to play the game. If you're saying there's a gap, if you're saying there should be the how to not play the game book, then you've identified your niche in the market. You've just landed on people need a book and it's missing because you've been able to say, hey, here's the great book that doesn't do what I wish it did. It's such a powerful way of looking at the market in front of you from a writing perspective to say all of these great books are out there and they if they don't serve me in a particular way, well, then I've just identified who my book will serve. Yay. Did we just... Do we just play my book? Well, it's it's a, it's a little piece of it, but yeah. I mean, one of the important things is you got to, yes, you can write for you, but fundamentally most people don't. No, but so, and also the, I would say like in the book that I read, it, it's an and, like my book would be an and to that. It's complimentary. It's, and it's back to like this beautiful story that like not one person's perspective is going to fit every other person's perspective. So it's writing, it's almost like I want every page that I read of that book, I wanted to like write an an answer to, or like, I wanted to write an opposing view of, 
or another perspective of rather, she's not doing or saying anything wrong. It's that I have recognized that she's absolutely got a huge market and like people that she's talking to the people that want to be in corporate and stay the corporate and like play the game as it is right now. I want to talk to people that are wishing to do things differently and to get rid of this notion that there is a game and there's something that's like chess that you have to go to work every day and like play mental gymnastics just to get through your day. What is that doing? Anyway, so- I was going to say in the publishing world, that's called comp titles. So when you write a book proposal, you have to come up with these things called comp titles or comparative titles. One of the hardest things to do. I like need to bring you on as a comp title expert because your description of like on every page I wanted to say and is- absolutely brilliant advice for any writer who is looking for comp titles for their book. It is not about what you're doing better. It is about how does your book engage in a conversation with. And so thank you. I I may steal that because yes, it was like the most insightful way to explain what a comp title should do. And, and there you go. You're a natural. Maybe you should be a book coach. Add it to my repertoire. Or at I- least a comp title coach because those well, are... So far, I'm a life coach. I'm an email marketing coach. I'm a um, spiritual coach. I'm I'm going to be all the things. The other thing that triggered in my head when we talked about why women aren't writing their books yet is NDAs. There's two things I heard you say too, is like leadership books. Women who are leaving the corporate world. And unfortunately, we're now at the time where there are zero black women CEOs in the S&P 500. Yeah, right. Those women have probably a lot to say. And they're bound by an NDA. I'm sure you've run across this. What does that conversation look like? And do you start writing it while their NDA runs out? So I have spoken to women who have that problem. I have not worked with any as writers. Um, I think there is a lot more tied up in that from the book that you want to write perspective. I am sure that there are women who are perhaps journaling or drafting on their own, but I would think. Professionally, I would think if you are held by an NDA, one of the things that you're going to run into as you are writing a book, if you were to say, try and professionally draft what that book is going to look like, you are still in the middle of the process if you are still bound by an NDA. That will impact how you write the book. And that probably isn't going to help how you write the book. The NDA, once it's behind you, now you are through that phase and now you can engage, right? And and I, I simply think the idea of, of being beholden to that NDA can limit and impact how you write in a way that maybe isn't going to be the end result as much as maybe in that moment, you want the burn it all down book. I think there's a reason we don't get a lot of burn it all down books. And I don't think it's because people are being muzzled. I think in the end, the burn it all down book is for you. It doesn't serve anyone else. And Great leadership books, as a particular example, serve outwards somehow, right? You should be a leader if you're going to write a leadership book. And I think that NDA can really, you're still sitting in a lot of, might be stewing in a lot of anger and a lot of other situations. The anger and hurt, you brought up a great point. You're in the middle of the NDA. Yeah, you're you're feeling all types of things. There's something to be said to get a little bit of distance. I can say that personally from being a year out. That's why yeah. I'm interested in going back and reading my little, my little precious ebook. A book say- needs a narrative arc, even if it's a leadership book. And if your narrative arc runs smack into an NDA because you're sitting in the middle of it, then you can't finish. You don't have the end of the arc. So your overall advice, and of course, not all encompassing and broad brush stroke, but overall, it's like, wait out your NDA, then start writing. 
Yeah, because you're not going to be able to get the right narrative out of your story if you are still in the middle of some negative aspect of it. My advice is journal to your heart's content, draft all you want, but the book will not take form, most likely. You know, I love what you said. You can, it's not stopping you from writing. Right. Go ahead and write. And then in the book, maybe you have some excerpts from, you know, the writing that you did when you're in the middle of an NDA. If you're writing when you're in the middle of your NDA, guess what you're doing? You're practicing your writing habit. Like you're building skill sets. It's a really positive thing. But in my experience, and I'm sure there are plenty of exceptions to this rule, if you want to write something that you are restricted from writing because you are beholden to an NDA, that means you do not know the end of the story yet. I'm not saying you need to know what happens on the last page of your book, but if you don't have a sense of what that arc is it's not going to be as good of a book as it could be. So wait until you can give it a narrative arc. It's the same advice I work sometimes with uh, women who write memoirs. A big tell for me that someone is not ready to write their book, and this is, I think, just an easier example, but it applies to leadership and, and corporate publishing. If the end of your memoir keeps moving because time is passing and it's somehow ending like with whatever your present is, then you haven't figured out where the end is yet. And I think that NDA is the same idea. If what you want to write about is covered by the NDA, it is too damn close to your present. You can't get, you can't see the ending yet. And we know on average that any sort of burnout or any sort of type of workplace trauma can take up to 18 months or longer to heal. So I was going to say only 18 months. Yeah, right. I'm like a year (laughs) out on the starting to, I just literally started to unearth my corporate wound. So away we go. I'm 10 years out from my PhD this year and I am just beginning to recover from it. Oh, Caroline. Yeah. So 18 months, man. Whew, I wish at 18 months I was like, yeah, I totally get it now. <laughs> it's, the fast food, it's the fast food of healing, apparently. Caroline, where do we find you? I am, as are you, I am on LinkedIn all the time. That is probably the best place to find me, chat with me, talk to me, learn things, all the good stuff. I also have a website, therightmalloy.com. It's W-R-I-T-E. Nobody gave me the advice when I was starting my business that you shouldn't have a pun as your business title, but it works. And all my information on on how I work with writers is there. Wait, why? I it just the number of times that I have to spell it out. Like it it makes me chuckle, but at the same time, it's kind of right. I mean, entrepreneurial advice 101, use your name as your business. And I was like, oh, Malloy, that's great. The right Malloy. That sounds really clever. It's not really clever. People misspell it all the time. I love it. I, I, I like it. It's fun. It's genius. <laughs> I, love genius. I also think my brother, who is actually a published author, may have had some thoughts about which Malloy was the right Malloy. I'm going to say, is there a wrong Malloy? And it's not spelled that way. It's W-R-I-T-E Malloy. See, that? there you go. Well, coming from the person who named her business Unlock the Magic. And then... But I like that. It's exactly... I know what I'm getting. Yes, and... Sometimes literally people think I do magic, but I, and I do do magic, but I'm not a magician. (laughs) Although one could argue I'm an email marketing magician, which I am. So, okay. It's awesome. I have so many thoughts about how you could learn magic tricks and work it into your business now. (laughs) Okay. We're let's do this. Nothing is off the table. Good. What closing remarks do you have for us today? Write the book. My closing remarks are always easy write the book. That's to you, Amy, specifically. It's to anyone listening to this podcast who's like, maybe I should write it. There's there's nothing negative that comes out of writing the book 
that's inside of you. I, you write it and you never publish it. You write it and you self-publish it. Awesome. You write it and you get an agent. You become the next Brene Brown. Fabulous. You don't know. But if you have the story, you are already more of a writer than you think you are. So write the book. Thanks, Caroline. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Amy.